G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. All right, we're sort of in this phase of year where we're getting back into the gospel story as we lead up to Easter. Let me remind you of John 13, verse 1 from last week. Remember John 13, verse 1. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. That's where we were up to in the story last week. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, having loved them, Where do we turn now as we head towards Easter? Well, this. He now showed them the full extent of his love, John 13, verse 1. So welcome back to our series in John's Gospel. Focused on Jesus, what is it, showing the full extent of his love, namely as he heads towards his own crucifixion and death for them and for us. Um, Today we tease out more of what that death means, well, meant for them, um, more of what that um, going away meant for them in terms of, yes, them being left alone in the world, um, but also in terms of what it means for them and for us in terms of our hope and our joy and our lives here and now. Uh, Many of us will recognise these two names, Fred and Sally, a married couple having problems with their allegedly wild teenage daughter, Fred and Sally. They aren't real. Um, They're a make-believe couple. Where would you know a make-believe couple from? They are a composite of couples that make their way through couples therapy that we've met, many of us have met, uh, in our couples workshop over the last number of years as we've run them there. So here's the story. Um, Sally comes to Fred and she's, she's wound up. Sally's wound up. Why is she wound up? Because their teenage daughter, Susan, is, well, she's hanging with a very volatile crowd She's probably getting caught up in things that Sally would describe as risky behaviours. Um, feeding into Sally's anxiety and stress, general levels of tears on this particular night is that, well, in Sally's family background, you see, specifically Sally's sister, very similar risky behaviours, risky teenage um, uh, characteristics and traits, hanging with the wrong crowd a lack of close involvement and supervision from parents. These dynamics led to teenage pregnancy, to dropping out of school, to a host of downstream problems that had their impact on teenage Sally when she was um, growing up. And now Susan? Can you see the problem from Sally's point of view? So Sally, she is just simmering at this point. It is late. Susan is still not home. She's out with them. And Fred? Well, Fred... Fred, you see, he's cut from a different cloth altogether. Now, Fred, uh, Fred, can you see him there? He's living the dream. He's on the couch. The kids are out. It's great. Doesn't matter where they are in a sense. He's watching season five of the latest wonderful, spectacular show. You can insert whichever one you'd be watching there. Feet up, beverage to hand, remote control within reach. Spectacular. And not only that. But Fred has a secret weapon, you see, ever unflappable Fred, an ingenious secret weapon to battle Sally's anxiety uh, and defeat it. It is a secret weapon, may I generalise here for a moment, known to every man on the planet. So in comes Sally, tense and anxious, this ball of stress. Who knows what's happening with our daughter right this moment? 
and Fred wastes no time. Honey, he says, clears his throat for effect. Honey, hands still on the remote, eyes still on the screen. Honey, don't worry about it. That was it. Don't worry about it. Relax. No need to fuss. Don't worry about it. Can you imagine Fred and Sally now? Can you picture them there? To which she says, of course, ah, that's a load off my mind. Thank goodness for that. What a wise husband I have. Thank you, sweetheart. I think I might just go and settle down for the night. Now calm within my very self. How lucky I am to have a sensitive and attuned man in my life like you. How do other women manage? Peace has come again to our home. Harmony is restored within my heart. Thank you, darling. Said no one ever. Yes. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, folks, here are our framing verses for our passage in John 14. If you'll excuse the clumsy contrast, John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus says to his disciples, trust in God, trust also in me. That's at the very start of the passage. Then there's a whole bunch of very important stuff that we're going to be exploring uh, today. And then at the very end of the passage, verse 27, uh, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, please forgive the clumsy contrast, but I want to say this morning that Jesus' words... Well, yes, very similar to Fred's in terms of their form. They are poles apart. And what lies between stands to speak real peace to troubled hearts and troubled homes and troubled lives. And it's what lies between those verses that's especially going to help bring that instruction, don't let your hearts be troubled, bring that instruction to life and give it a basis and a grounding uh, and bring that that, uh, hopefully to an experience in our Uh, reality for us. Can we please pray together as we turn now to John 14. Let's pray. Um, Father God in heaven, yes your word, it says it to us as clear as day, do not let your hearts be troubled or in, in the language of Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. But Father we often have real difficulty reconciling that instruction with our lived experience, reconciling our head with our heart. So we remain unsettled, uh, we remain in anxiety and in stress. We hear the instruction and it kind of feels like yet another source of anxiety rather than a help because now we can't even do that one. So Lord God, this morning, would you please help us to reach behind that instruction through the teaching of Jesus to his disciples this morning to find firm grounds for still hearts and lives at peace before you. O Lord, our refuge and our strength. Amen. Uh, We're going to have to continue painting the scene. The the disciples, they faced very real trouble, didn't didn't they? Uh, Thinking back, uh, we're just going to have to get ourselves into the context of John 14. Uh, I'd want to say they faced trouble on a few fronts. Trouble from without, first of all, as in outside of them. Trouble from without, in Jesus' life. He'd already proved, hadn't he, the unstoppable force for generating controversy and difficulty and heat and tension just wherever he went. Um, Think about it, the conflict with the Pharisees, arguments with the Sadducees, uh, heat from the religious scribes, pressure from within his own family. Even when he healed people, crowds griped that he did it on the wrong day or that he ought not have said this or that. 
or whatever it was. The world was no friendly place for Jesus or anyone fool enough to get tangled up with him. Trouble from without, first of all, that the disciples faced um, as we meet them here on the last day of Jesus' earthly life. Trouble from within. Um, and uh, this is just the realisation. Well, we've, we sort of, we've alluded to that already, actually, within our passages. Andrew read it to us. But I don't just mean trouble from within as in in the inner circle because Judas, nasty Judas, the betrayer, was one of them trouble. No, I mean trouble within each of them. Uh, far more sinister, the realisation that each of the 11 personally had the same impure streak that G- Judas had, oh, to be able to master our own tongue and temptations and inclinations. So just have a look at the couple of verses, if you've got the, the passage in front of you, just flick back to chapter 13, the very end there. Even Peter, you see, the best of them, Peter, had this trouble within. Verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Sounds great. Verse 38, then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Even Peter, the best of them, trouble without, trouble within, but they've also, they're also facing trouble up ahead. And I don't just mean on the horizon, much nearer to hand for them. It's just those three words in that opening verse, opening couple of verses there. John chapter 14 verse 1 says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I'd have told you. Here they are. I am going there to prepare a place for you. There's trouble up ahead. Trouble on every side. Trouble without. Trouble within. Trouble up ahead. In recent chapters, John's opened up, sorry, Jesus has opened up with them about his death. He's been as blunt as he could be. He is going, he is departing. And so in their last night together, their last meal together, um, with their illustrious leader, their last meal with the man who, he always seemed to have the answers, didn't he? He always seemed to know what to say to those smarty pants religious folks who'd come and give him trouble. He always knew what to say. He wielded the very power of God in their midst. So they were safe as long as he remained with them. And it sounds like uh, I am going. Can you imagine the reverberations in their hearts? It hardly sounds like the full extent of his love, does it? And yet he opens chapter 14 with this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, on my count, the way that we're going to approach this passage today, on my count, there are five, five reasons, five anchors, five grounds for that instruction. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Some of them might resonate with you quite powerfully, maybe not some of the others of them. Maybe you've already um, grasped hold of them well and truly. Um, I'm going to give you five grounds on which to anchor our hearts today in the Lord Jesus. The first one is home. Why does Jesus go? Firstly, precisely to guarantee them a home to come home to. Do you know that hope? Is that an anchor for your soul? John 14 verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I'd have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. 
Oh, I think it's possible, isn't it? To um, uh, What do you picture when you see that verse? I think it's possible to kind of um, take the metaphor a little bit too far, you know? Well, like in the new creation, in, in this new place, will I have a bedroom of my own? Like, is that what it's talking about? Will I have... Is it like this massive manor house where there's all these floors and there's bedrooms and ballrooms? I don't think we're supposed to stretch it um, too far, folks. The house of God was what? In Jesus' day, as he said that phrase, it would have been the temple, wouldn't it? The visible presence um, of God in the, in the world. And what it's saying is, no, no, not in the earthly temple, but in the presence of God, there is a space for you. Do you know that? As an anchor for your soul in the midst of these troubles. Because my going makes you a space. I'll make sure that you get there, Christian. So for you and me, I wonder, have our hearts ever told us, my best years... The place I think of as my haven and my home, my best years are behind me. This cannot, from here, possibly turn out any better than it's been. Life's not coming together, life is falling apart. We've had our best and now it's downhill from here. And you don't have to be old to have those experiences, do you? Perhaps the disciples felt like that. Think about their experience with Jesus. (laughs) Imagine it, actually. They'd had literally crowds of thousands flocking to their leader and he was one of their inner circle. Crowds of thousands. How many people here is that? Multiplied by 10. No, multiplied by 20. Crowds and crowds flocking around Jesus. That's the experience that they had known of thousands of people flocking to him. Miracles of healings and feedings. And now, or now... There were 12 in the room, one of you will betray me, now there's 11 in the room and even my besties are going to turn and run. Oh, and I'm going and you'll never be able to find me. Christian, where do you call home? We have a heavenly home prepared by Christ, prepared by his own death and resurrection. That's home and that's yours. Anchor number two. Anchor number one, home. Anchor number two, you're heading or your heading is in direction. Pick it up from verse four with me. You know the way to the place where I am going, Jesus says to his disciples. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you'd know my Father as well. From now on, You do know him and have seen him. Thomas asks a good question, doesn't he? Do you notice? He actually asks two questions. Jesus actually answers both of them. Uh, Question five, uh, verse five, Thomas's question. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Now, where is Jesus going? We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus, Jesus actually provides the answer to both questions, doesn't he? Where are you going? He's going to the Father. But how can we know the way? Well, I am the way. What on earth does he mean by that? Take a look there in verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. Can we first scrub out what he isn't saying by that? Because what does that mean for Jesus to be the way? It doesn't mean... My way is the way, does it? That's not what he's saying. He doesn't say, live my way, follow in my footsteps, do like I've done, try a little bit harder and you'll get there, give it a shot, give it time. 
Now, that's not quite it. And he can't mean that, actually, does he? Because even in the last chapter, we know, all of the disciples know that they can't follow in his footsteps. That was the whole idea that they each needed washing by Jesus, cleansing. Do you remember? So what does it mean, I am the way? I think it means simply this, doesn't it? To get to the Father, you've got to come to me. To get to the Father, you've got to come to me. Trust in God, verse 1, Jesus says. That sounds plain and simple. Trust also in me. Um, I will come back and take you to be with me, verse 3. It, maybe it's not the kind of you know, life direction that you were hoping to be able to go away and do on your own, but that's just the point. With Jesus, it's not a go away and do on your own thing. No, it's a come to Jesus thing at every point of the way. When your heart is troubled, do you ever say to yourself, I just don't know where I'm going in my life. I, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I don't know what I'm supposed to even be trying at. How's a, how's a person supposed to know where to go in life? And Jesus is saying, you know where to go, O believer. Jesus is saying, I'm the one. I'm the way. Where are you going in life? I'm going to Jesus. With Jesus, he's my way. Number one, um, uh, we have a home. Number two, we have a heading. Number three, we've got help. We've got all the help we can need. Uh, ground for peace in the midst of trouble. Number three is help. Because Jesus says, when I'm your way, you have all the help that you're ever going to need. Uh, verse eight, come and have a look with me there from verse eight. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father's in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Have a listen to this, the help. And verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. I think one of our troubles in life, is, isn't it the case in our prayer lives in the, in, as we get caught up in things, is that we read verse 14, you can ask me for anything. And we look back on our lives and how that's gone and we think, well, I asked for, I asked for a spouse and he never gave me one. I asked for healing. And now the doctors say that my number's up. I asked for relief from this pain he's with me every day I ask for better grades I ask for an easier marriage or even just the little things I ask for her to be my friend could we, could we please look at, um, at that you can ask me for anything verse 14 just in the context of the two verses it's couched in because it might not give us our every heart's desire but gosh, I think it gives us help in times of trouble. Let's just have a look at the two verses around it. So firstly, that little phrase that's there in both of verse 13 and verse 14. Verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name 
Jesus says, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. What do you make of that phrase, in my name? Did we gloss over it as it was read to us um, now a couple of times? Now, for those of you who are bosses or um, even you um, employees, you know what it is to do something in their name, in his name, or to have something done in your name, don't you? You know what it is to drive the company car around in the company's name with the company's logo on the side. You know what it is to do something in another person's name, or you know what it is for people to have do things in your name, hopefully good things, but not always good things, is it? Here's the thing, could it be that we've reduced in Jesus' name? It's just a code word, isn't it? It's a code word for, whew, he's finally done with that prayer and now we get to eat. No, no, in Jesus' name. It's in Jesus' name that we have access to God. He is why we can pray. He is the grounds that we have before our Heavenly Father. We ask for things in his name because he is our Lord. As if we are driving the company car um, around for Jesus. He is why we can pray. His name in that sense will shape what we pray for. Actually, that's the other thing here. Secondly, verse 13 now. So, I'll, I will do whatever you ask in my name, but what to what end? So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Now, we know in Jesus' life what that looked like. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father, to his Father. Jesus wanted that on earth. He pursued that doggedly, and that didn't mean easy living or everything he could ever wanted. In fact, think of his prayer in Gethsemane as he faced the cross. Um, Lord, take, Father, take this cup from me, yet not, not as I will, but what you will. In that sense, Jesus didn't even get what he wanted, did he? But even now, the Son will bring glory to his Father in our lives. Do we pray for that in the midst of trouble? I will do whatever you ask, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Is that what we're praying for? I wonder if there is a comfort for us for troubled minds here when our heart says to us, I don't, think what I, I don't think I've got what it takes to get through this. This thing that I have to face tomorrow. I don't know how to face this. How on earth can I cling to Jesus when they're saying it's going to be like this for years maybe? Isn't this the comfort for troubled minds? Ask for that help, that the Son may bring glory to the Father in your life. We can pray that confidently. We're told to pray for that expectantly and eagerly and earnestly. Um, more positively, you, you might want to bring Jesus to your friends. And it never seems to go the way that you expect or hope or want or desire or pursue or prayed about. Let not your heart trouble over that. The Son will bring glory to the Father. He will do it, just as he has done. So pursue it and have peace, leaving the outcome in his hands. So we have heaven's help. Number four, um, here, here and now, speeding up now. Ground number four for peace in the midst of trouble. We don't just have to wait for a far off there and then kind of experience of God, the presence of God, the comfort of God in our lives. God himself, Father, Son and Spirit has made his home here and now with us. So have a listen to this word, O hearts, that agonise to ourselves, I'm all alone. God seems so distant to me. 
Doesn't he even want to come close to me? Have a listen from verse 15. Actually, verse 15. Yeah, so verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I just want to make a side note here. All of this obedience stuff, this obey, this command kind of stuff, to some of us that sounds, gosh, it sounds harsh, gosh, it sounds kind of, what do you mean, like obedience and command, it sounds cold and hard and distant. But please keep in mind the context here. These, these are Jesus' disciples, his followers, the men who loved him on earth. They wanted to obey him. It was a personal thing, a thing in relationship that they delighted in him. That is the setting for their obedience and for, for ours as well. Because we know that we love, we want to love back. Anyway, verse 15. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Verse 16. And I'll ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Now let's tease that out. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you'll see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realise that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world jesus replied here we go if anyone loves me he will obey my teaching my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him does god want to be near me if jesus were here this morning at church popped into church would he actually want to come home to your place for lunch Really? Wouldn't he be horrified by what he'd find and just want to go next door and kind of wish that he'd gone home with that other family? They seem to have it so together. No, Christian, it is the good pleasure of God. What does it say? We will come to you and make our home with you. It's talking about the presence of God by his spirit in your life. He's here and now. Lastly, last anchor for our troubled hearts, hearts full of peace. Uh, It's just verse 27. We won't read through the rest of the text. Just verse 27 um, that I'd like us to take a look at and find another anchor in. Peace I leave with you. Have you got it there, verse 27? John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. So come back with me to, um, to Fred and Sally's lounge room. There, as Susan is out up to who knows what. Sally is this ball of anxiety and stress and tears and, 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 and trouble over their daughter Susan. Fred? Ah, Fred. Don't worry about it. Relax. She'll be fine. Nothing to worry about. And by the way, I'm missing my show now. Denial was never going to be the solution. Um, reasons, had Fred gone with reasons, grounds, a solid basis for comfort, maybe there'd have been some hope there as they tried to move forward. Talk about the virtues of their, of some of their friends, uh, that not all of them are louts as Sally fears. Talk about the level-headedness of Susan 
in the group and how it's more than once she's managed to have a positive influence on that group and perhaps that's exactly what she's doing this very moment rather than what you fear, Sally. But denial was never going to be the solution. Reasons and grounds, a solid basis for comfort, those help. I think they speak peace to our hearts even when they don't fix necessarily the root of the problem or the direct cause of the trouble in our lives. They chart a future in the midst of them They are a helpful conversation when we're able to have it. And that is something, by the way, that I think we should find deeply satisfying about this chapter. Jesus does not pretend away the troubles that lie ahead for believers in the world or for his disciples directly. The struggle is real. It's just that in the midst of it, you have grounds for peace, Christian. But you see, in this last verse, verse 27, I think there is something more as we read it in the context of John's Gospel more broadly. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give you. You see, in Jewish speech of the time, peace, you know the word, don't you? Shalom. They used it in this kind of double duty kind of way. So it could be a greeting. They'd say shalom as we might say hello. But they'd also say shalom, they'd use it as a farewell, use it as we'd say goodbye, shalom, it was a parting kind of a word. Now, which is it here? How is it functioning, if it's functioning as either? Well, I think it's functioning more as a farewell, isn't it? Obviously, I am going to the Father, and he says, shalom, at the end of it, peace, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. It's not well-wishing, it's a peace that is substantial, that has a basis, a ground in your very life, Christian, that you can have peace. But here's what I find interesting. You see, in a few chapters time, when we meet the risen Lord Jesus Christ again, do you remember his first words to the disciples as they're gathered there? First words, greeting. Peace. Peace. It seems that the signature Christian greeting for believers waiting for our Lord's return is peace. A word that we can say to one another as we point one another to Christ's coming back. Here is the upshot, friends. Let's take this peace, not just for ourselves in the midst of trouble, but as the first words that we hold out to the world, the ground and the basis that we share with the people around us. It seems to me that there are plenty of Freds and Susans and Sally's, sorry. May they hear from us that there is a home for peace, even here and now, even in the midst of trouble, that is substantial that can last and that will see us through. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you are the anchor for our souls. Um, Christ is the anchor in the midst of our fears. Um, Lord God, each of us this day, we we come, yes, as a united body, but each with anxieties and fears and troubles and things that are tugging at our hearts and distracting us, uh, things that raise the heart rate. Um, And for some of us, those have been things that have have troubled us many, many years. We've prayed our hearts out, Father, um, but in your wisdom, we haven't got the answer that we'd hoped for. Lord God in heaven, would you please... Grant us to see Jesus as the anchor for our souls here and now as we wait for the there and then. Would you please help us to point one another to Jesus in the midst of it all, reminding one another of 
the help that we have before the throne of grace, um, pointing one another um, to where we're going together. But Father, we pray as well for the community around us. We think of our loved ones um, who do not, at least yet, share with us a ground for lasting peace in the Lord Jesus. We pray may his death and resurrection, may the hope of a future with him become their peace. And would you use us as your servants to that end, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.